LLC. Yeah! When that beat comes in, the robot comes talking to you. You know it is time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in. E-L-C. Woo! Especially if you are one of our geeks and sneaks, using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run, like I did this week. We're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaining goodness. Because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash DLC pod. They are our heroes. They're bringing the show to you, making it possible to keep making these podcasts because they support us. And in return, they get some cool stuff, including ad-free versions of the show, video versions of the show on demand, bonus content, so much bonus content, ladies and gentlemen, including the paid DLC program on Wednesdays, where Lana Bashinsky joins Christian Spicer and myself to get weird, to get wacky, to get goofy, to make you spit take onto your monitor involuntarily. Uh, it's a good time. And it's available for the Cool Ranch patrons. We got more bonus content, though. You've got Feeling This Fridays, where Christian Spicer and Alex Solman talk about the feelings behind video games. Oh, such great content there. That's available at any level of support on Patreon. And you've got the audio version, the podcast version of the DLC book club available to you at any level as well. Tons of great stuff to dig into. All you got to do is support the show at patreon.com slash DLC pod. But this show, the main show, DLC, we're the show all about games. And there are many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice luck and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy whose quads are probably feeling better than mine right now. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. How are your quads? <laughs> well, my academic quads are great. Sweet. Students are, are filling them again. Uh, the hustle <laughs> and bustle of a number of quads you. that you maintain. I have academic quads, you know, like where the rotund, rotunda where um, <laughs> Christian all the just, freshmen. In his spare time, just, uh, you know, maintaining the quad, making sure all the garbage is picked up in the quad. You know? Let me tell you, uh, Christian U is a very different university than some people expected it to be when they showed up. It sure. is uh, why, it's more like Animal House than a house full of animals. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> How are you doing, my friend? I am I am good. Uh, yes, quads are probably in better shape than yours. Feeling this season two uh, continues. There's been a little delay, but Alex and I are recording again this week. So that new episode will be out very shortly thereafter. And I'm excited to talk Gamescom. And believe it or not, Jeff, um, there's a lot of game stuff happening. <laughs> Holy smokes. Yeah, we got Gamescom to talk about this week. We got uh, we got a lot of news, <laughs> the Beyond Gamescom. And we got big, big games here and on the horizon. Oh, man, it's an exciting time to be listening to DLC. Thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. I also want to say big thank you uh, to all the folks that donated to my Hood to Coast uh, charity run uh, this last weekend. I completed it in Portland. I'm sure I'll talk more about it on paid DLC. But uh, is that a threat? <laughs> yeah, don't listen to the show, ladies and gentlemen. It's just going to be me complaining about my quads. But 
Uh, I want to thank every, there's so many folks. We, we raised over $12,000 for Providence, uh, to, in their fight against prostate cancer. I'm really proud of it. And it's all because of folks, uh, listening who helped donate. So thank you so much for that. But we got, we got so much to get into. I can't, I can't spend too much time doing that because, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's a big week and we have a big guest joining us. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But, oh, this week I'm excited because DLC stands for discussing Luke's career because <laughs> we have video game writer and the author of X-Wings, lightsabers, and Scorpion Vader celebrating 40 years of Star Wars video games. Our friend Chris Baker is back with us. Hey, Chris. Thank you for having me, Jeff. I, I realized it's been, I think, exactly a year since the last time I was here, and, and that has uh, flown by very quickly. Yes, it's too long, too. It's too long to, to talk to you, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear about your book. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, it's, I yeah. love the title. How did you <laughs> come to write this? Uh, well, it, it came actually back a year and a half ago. I realized, hey, you know what? The, the 40th anniversary of Star Wars games is this summer. And uh, I don't think anyone's going to really talk about that. And they didn't. Uh, so <laughs> it, it might as well be me. And I thought it'd be an easy thing to do because I, I worked uh, a few years ago. I wrote for Glixel.com, if you guys remember that site. Um, it, it was uh, maybe a little too uh, smart for <laughs> a great lot site, of this great, industry. A lot <laughs> but of I think this folks. audience would have probably Love gotten it. along it with it awesome. well. Um, and you know, it was Rolling Stone's, uh, video game website. And I, I, I had the pleasure of writing some really in-depth stuff about the history of Star Wars games, uh, there. And I own that content. So I was like, why don't I just throw that into a book, publish it on Amazon, see what happens. Shouldn't be too hard. Right. And, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, I start that process. Uh, I put these things together and I realized I want to do a little bit more. I want to update some things, you know work and dad life get in the way and it's a year and a half later and i'm celebrating 40 years of anna of uh, star wars games on the 41st anniversary basically uh but it's coming out soon and um you know it, it's kind of like a it's a collection of, of articles i've written and and some new stuff I, kind of the flagship one is like uh 40 great moments in star wars video games i'm not doing like the your typical uh countdown the 40 greatest star wars games because you know, I could give that a shot, but no one's really played them all, all the way. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> and it's kind of like, there's a lot of those out there anyway. So this is like just the moments, the stuff like uh star killer grabbing uh, a star destroyer, uh, right. you know, the, the end of Knights of the old Republic, uh, it just like awesome. sitting down in the cockpit of the, the Atari uh, game from, from 1993. Yes. You know? Just yes. like, the the stuff that as a Star Wars fan and as a gamer you you can really appreciate and and probably remember if you experienced it yourself. That sounds uh, fantastic. I love it. Yeah. Do you have off the top of your head? Do you have any statistics for how many Star Wars video games have come out over the last forty years? Uh, well, there's a lot of caveats there. Like, do you count every skew and and you know right. like different versions? But it's it's well over a hundred. Yeah, well over a hundred maybe even pushing 200 once you get mobile and, and all these different wild <laughs> types. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Every star Wars game ever is not mentioned in the book. Uh, I thought about just putting a list there, but I was like, no, there's enough study already. I don't need to prolong this anymore. Uh, of course the <laughs> Scorpion Vader in the title. Uh, do you guys know what that is? 
I don't. Do you, Christian? No, but so I like the way that deep you, cut. Popped a, you popped a quiz on Chris to be like, how many <laughs> yeah. games are they? And Chris is like, oh, checkmate. Here's my pop quiz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Scorpion Vader is a, uh, there's a Namco Star Wars adaptation that came out for the Famicom in Japan only. It never came wow. out in America, 1987. And it's a very loose adaptation of the Star Wars trilogy at the time. Uh, for example, at the end of the first level, you are trying to free uh, R2-D2 from the Sandcrawler. You get there and you find that both the Jawas and R2-D2 are held captive by Darth Vader. And then you whack Darth Vader with your lightsaber that you already have, even though you've <laughs> never met Obi-Wan Kenobi. And uh, he turns into a scorpion. And I, uh, I remember that from the original cut of A New Hope. <laughs> I remember that moment. Yeah, so uh, that's like, if you know that, uh, already then I have like a very in-depth article where I actually That's like talked to uh, the composer of the game. I was able to track down someone who actually worked on that game in 1987 uh, and a friend of mine, Miguel Cordy, who used to be at Cam- Capcom. Now he's at uh, Camouflage. He's a, one of the yeah. best localizers in the business. And uh, he uh, was a nice translator for me. And uh, he actually translated the entire game in there. That's there too. Wow. Uh, so yeah, there's just like a, a ton of really geeky things if you are interested in star wars and video games and where they intersect i think you're going to learn a lot i have like over 15 different developers with quotes too throughout the book so that's awesome yeah i love it just uh, i end it with like my own because i was at lucas arts myself for three years and i have just like i've had some beta readers and they're like uh, the thing i tacked on at the end is just like an afterthought is like that seems to be something they really like uh, just my own my own experience at LucasArts, you know, uh, talking about seeing George Lucas, uh, you know, uh, seeing episode three early, stuff like that. People wow. seem to really respond to you, too. So, uh, well, yeah, that's people... coming out. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, that's coming out on Labor Day, and you can pre-order it now. Just go to scorpionvader.com, scorpionvader.com. Click on your territory, and you should be able to pre-order it for four ninety nine. dollars Right on. Sounds great. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to be checking that book out myself. Uh, we got lots of video game stuff to check out. So let's get right into it and start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for your for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. That's also where you can send comments or questions or anything you'd like us to know. We love hearing from you. dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also hang out with us and fellow like-minded gamers and fans of the show on our Discord, which is 5x5DLC on Discord. Uh, The subreddit is also a cool place to hang out and meet like-minded folks. It's 5x5DLC.reddit.com. But Chris, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Yeah, you know, I got to stay on brand here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll just, uh, I'll say this. I'll, I'll, I'll preface it with this. My, uh, my, uh, my, uh, the, the dedication in my book is, is to my lovely wife, Glinda, our sweet little tea bear, and my old friend, Dan, who let me play Dark Forces on his super advanced Gateway 486 in our Tennessee dorm room. Uh, there is, yeah, there's a remake of, uh, Dark Forces coming, uh, very soon from, uh, Night's, what is it? Night, Night Dive Studios. Night Dive yeah. Studios. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. 
Um, and yeah, I, I'm uh, very excited uh, to play that in a way that I play first person shooters because I'm not a keyboard and mouse guy. I never really have been, um, except for stuff like Diablo and, you know, just click over here and that kind of thing. Uh, but for FPS is not really. And, you know, back when this was on PlayStation, I tried to play it on PlayStation also. And that was like before analog PlayStation. So you're yeah, like, just terrible. D-pad, terrible. FPS controllers does not work. Yeah. I'm assuming that with, uh, you know, based on stuff like they did for Quake 2 recently, that this will all include, uh, you know, updated modern first person shooter controllers that I can play on my PS5. Yeah. And uh, it will, you know, it looks a little better and uh, has some crazy specs too i know uh i think it's 4k 120 frames per second you can do a lot when yeah. you're pushing pixels like that yeah this is <laughs> exactly. so this is the you know if, if folks don't recall if they're not old olds like us uh star wars dark forces was released in 1995 on dos the disc operating system ladies yes. and gentlemen uh i played it I was there, baby. Uh, came out on Mac in, in 1996 and also on PlayStation. PlayStation port was terrible. This was back when porting a game from a PC to a console was a bad idea because it never, never was the, the reverse of today where yes. the PC port is like, how did you mess the, back then? Yeah. The PC port was what you That's wanted. <laughs> this, uh, well, the PC wasn't the port. The PC was the lead skew, and then the PlayStation oh, yeah, the, was the, the port. Yeah, the, the console yeah. port. Sorry, yes, backwards. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So, yes. Uh, yeah. Play, so, to give you an idea, ladies and gentlemen, as to how long ago this was in the world of first-person shooters, you could not, previous to Dark Forces, in a first-person shooter, look up or down. Mm-hmm. That was the grand innovation that Dark Forces brought to the genre was the ability to look up and down. <laughs> so if you recall uh, in those early days of, uh, of, of Wolfenstein, Castle Wolfenstein, for example, which was the first FPS, uh, you were on a flat plane and you could move your, you, you know, you had your, your sticky little gun that was sticking straight out, always, always there, uh, never moving or wavering. And you could move left or right and, and shoot bad guys, but uh, you couldn't look up or down. And so uh, Dark Forces came out Grand innovation, being able to look up and down. Unfortunately, did not map well to the original PlayStation controller. (laughs) So it was a very difficult game to play. I got panned at the time on PlayStation. But uh, those of us that played it on PC, we liked it. It sold over a million copies back then. has a very great reputation. And now, uh, as Chris mentioned, Night Dive Studios is uh, coming back with a remaster. This isn't a full remake. Uh, If you see the video, it very much is a remaster. It is a uh, upgrade update of uh, very dated visuals, but I think maintains the essence of them. So they st- it still looks like an old game. It looks, Christian, you and I talk about this all the time. It looks like what I remember it looking like, even though it is vastly yes. improved. <laughs> right? Yes. And yeah. it, it's very similar to Quake 2, which just came out. And, you know, that type of update to an old game and i think a lot of the work being done is bringing this game to modern hardware a lot of these old dos games were lost uh to time and to operating systems and dark forces had a fan made uh 4k remaster that recently came out or i think it's been out for a bit but um that i toyed with and, and played with on modern hardware and just the ease of use of that being a mod 
but being able to get it running on my modern day computer was leaps and bounds better than what it used to be to try to get it to run on current screens and current hardware. And now having a proper re-release of this game that runs on everything, I think is going to be really cool. And it's a great story. Like this game, again, first person shooters back in the Dark Forces time. I think it was whenever last week I talked about Quake 2 bringing like uh, multiple things to do within a level was its kind of innovation (laughs) to the first person shooter genre at the time, as well as some cool tech. But now Dark Forces had cutscenes that meant something. And it wasn't the first game to do it, certainly, but it was one of the first that told a story as this character whose narrative continues outside of uh, this first game and continues and builds. And it's a really cool thing to look back at, especially now with Star Wars being so story and lore heavy. This was kind of the beginnings of that, um, telling this interconnected story that existed outside the movies. And it introduced things that are Star Wars canon now, such as the Dark Troopers, which we Mm -hmm. saw in The Mandalorian. Uh, Yeah, I have like, this is not going to happen, but I have like this kind of, fantasy that if I were in total control of this, like on the Lucas side, <laughs> on the, the remake side, I'd make two versions of this game. One, just like, just like it was exactly, you know, steal the Death Star plans, then the, the Dark Troopers storyline develops. But I think there's an opportunity here if they really wanted to just change, change getting the Death Star plans to something similar of that ilk. Involve Moff Gideon in the background somehow. Um, and you could take just what's here, add some lines, maybe a, a new cutscene or something, and you could put it in the canon now and introduce Kyle Katarn and stuff like that. You could do that. I'm not expecting that. It would be an amazing twist if they did. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty cool. That would be. Yeah. Pretty, I don't know if they have they have the ability to do that, but that would be pretty rad. It would be a Lucasfilm directive, not a yeah. um, night dive directive so i'm not anticipating that at all but it, it's kind of like in my fantasy world uh that's what's going to happen this was what kyle katarn was the name of the main character yes. is that right yeah he would later go on to be the protagonist in the jedi knight series that's right yeah so uh so this game does have a storied history and it, it is one of those big uh I, you know tentpole star wars games in my memory um yeah. you know along with you know the snes uh Return of the Jedi game, and there's like <laughs> you know X Wing uh, on X Wing versus Tie Fighter on PC, and Rogue Squadron on GameCube. Like there's those sure. big, and I'm sure there's all those are all in your book, but those big games. Yep. <laughs> do you do you prefer Chris this notion of a authentic remastering uh, to, to have the game look and feel like you remember it, or? are you hoping that some of these games get fully remade? Like we're seeing some of the resident evil games and, and some others where it really is being changed on a fundamental mechanic right. level. I mean, to, to purely remake everything is just a, a huge investment that disallows making new games also at the same time, mm, yeah. because people remaking or are, are not making something new. So, you know, I, I certainly enjoy the occasional remake. I think something of the caliber of dark, is, is worthy of a remake. I know uh, Respawn right now is making a first-person shooter that's very much inspired, supposedly, by Dark Forces. So who knows? Right. Maybe it could be that. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah. they're introducing Kyle Katarn or something uh, in, in a new way. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think uh, I think that it's great that there's studios out there like Night Dive, like like Digital Eclipse for for preserving things. 
that, um, you know, are, are, are giving us these old games, quote unquote, as we remember them. And then you can just go to Steam and play the old one if you if you're a purist. Right. Like that's there. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, like yeah. I said, I'm not much of a, a keyboard mouse guy, so I don't play that very often. But I have and it's there and it's it's totally functional. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to much prefer playing this new iteration. Yeah, and it will have all of the modern things we expect. It will come out on consoles. It'll have support for trophies and achievements. Um, so, you know, I think this is going to be the way that most people will experience this or re-experience uh, Dark Forces, and maybe it'll introduce some people to some cool gaming history. Uh, I kind of want to lump this story in with another um, remake, remastering story that happened this week. Uh, we got the announcement that some fans got together, some modders got together and are giving the RTX treatment to Half-Life 2, uh, which I'm very excited about because uh, Christian, you and I both loved the uh, the RTX version of Portal uh, that came out last year, I think. Um, and the early screenshots, comparative screenshots of Half-Life 2 in RTX just look gorgeous and it makes it look like a brand new game it's amazing what these modders are able to do this is the rtx community project that is remastering half-life 2 half-life 2 one of the great games of all time in my opinion um so this is going to feature full ray tracing dlss3 reflex rtx io all the stuff all the bells and whistles that portal got that to my mind made it look like a brand new game experience uh, this happening to a you know big story based game, I think is going to be really really cool. So I'm excited about Half Life Two RTX as well. We don't have a release date yet for that, but it is uh, it is coming. And I think it's cool that Steam or excuse me Valve is um, is supporting this as it is coming from the community and not from Valve itself. Does and that mean the- we can eventually uh, download it for free? Knock on wood. I don't know. They haven't announced that. But I I imagine it'll be the kind of thing that if you already own Half-Life 2, you will be able to. That's how it was with Portal. I see. So if, you know, maybe it's a way for them to sell some, you know, more copies of Half-Life 2. (laughs) But other than that, I think it'll be those of us that still have Half-Life 2 in our Steam libraries. I think I was going to say, that means it's free. If you can download it for free, (laughs) if you have Half-Life 2, I think if you load Steam... At some point over like a 90 day period, Half-Life 2 appears in your library. Yeah. You know, it's you're the, like, it's oh. the U2 album of <laughs> yes, <dude>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's cool of NVIDIA and they've certainly touted this. And also based on their most recent earnings report, they don't need me saying any nice things about them because they've made all the money. Uh, this past bit but these tools these rtx tools are built for modders to be able to do something like this and implement ray tracing and dlss technology and all of this cool stuff that like you said for half-life 2 i mean portal i think you know we talked about how it made the button look like a delicious piece of candy you know it's just like the visual upgrade um while still using a lot of the same bones is, is really stunning. And if you haven't watched the video showing off what they've done so far with Half-Life 2, I mean, it's kind of a tour through, um, I think it's Gordon's office is what they're yeah. highlighting in that trailer. And it's phenomenal. You know, they pan over the keyboard and then they show it with the update on as it pans back. And it's absolutely it's an amazing. Phenomenal. It's an amazing improvement. And, you know, as much as I love Portal, there's not a lot going on in that game sort of stylistically like you you know you're in the white rooms there's some stuff and there's a moments where you're behind the scenes you know not to spoil portal but um but compared to 
Half-Life 2, which is, has all these wildly different environments and, and cool moments, I'm really excited to see the improvements there because I think it would just be that much more dramatic. Um, so very cool stuff to look out for. Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Well, seeing as how you did two stories, you introduced a second story when it wasn't even your story, Jeff. Like I was just really impressed. Like that. it needed to be. No, no. I mean, you've, you've, you've Jeffed it to a whole new level. So <laughs> um, we need to cover, I won't make this my story, but I will say we need to cover the Gamescom announcement. So I will, I will flag that and I'll take that as one of my mini stories. That's not what you get to do. You don't get to go. It's my story, but somebody yeah. else is going to bring it up. That's not no, how I said, that I said I'll flag. It can be one of my many. It can be one of my many. <laughs> let me, Jeff, let me put it this way. I discovered new land that no one's ever been on before no this is completely new land i don't ignore i don't acknowledge any of the existing civilizations here and i put my flag down and i say this will be my story this will be my story um i want to go over the gamescom stuff but what i truly think is the most interesting story this week and if this were like a you know a boxing match like what arguing for our favorite or biggest story I think it's Epic's new um, developer program, mm. where in exchange for exclusivity, the Epic's ga- Epic Game Store will let developers keep 100% of their revenue. That's 100% of their revenue for six months of exclusivity on the Epic's games. Epic, how is that an S? Epic Games Store. And then after that, it switches to their current 88-12 split, which was already you know, famously uh, a more generous developer split than Steam or consoles were providing to those publishers and developers. And now it seems like Epic, their store, I think, kind of still much maligned, rightfully so. It is not as good of an experience as Steam, in my opinion. But I think something like this is a pretty big shot across the bow again in terms of Epic saying we are still serious about our store. And we're going to make big moves to to make this happen. And this is, I think, a really interesting approach to exclusivity versus going out and buying it, as we saw in all the leaked documents from <laughs> Activision and Microsoft. And they are still paying for that exclusivity, make, make no doubt about that. But they are paying for it in a very different way mm-hmm. by saying, we don't need our cut. You go get all of the cut right now for six months of exclusivity. And then I have to guess that Epic is, is assuming that they'd get some of that back on later at DLC or microtransactions, or also just maybe becoming a bigger storefront and air quote default launcher. I think for it's more of one. these games, I think it's that one trying to get a bigger footprint um, and having being more of the destination place for these games, because I think Despite all of their efforts, they still are a marginal uh, consideration yeah. when you compare it to Steam. And I think this is a, a, a very bold play to say, hey, we're going to be the place to get some, uh, some big games. We want to be the only place for six months that you can. So it gets mind share. It, gets, it becomes of more importance to gamers. And when you start having games that you want to play on the service, then you start building out your infrastructure in other ways. You're, I mean, a, a gamer does. You have your friends list there. You have your all of the things that you need to build out your gaming environment need to take place on this other platform. And therefore, it becomes part of your habit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they're hoping for. That's just my my take on it. But it seems it seems like this this is a company that says, 
we don't need money right now. <laughs> we need, I, it, we need mind share. And so yeah. I think they're really making a play to be a much more prominent part of a gamer's awareness around where to go when you, when a new game drops. And that will certainly help, but I, I do wonder if that's more appealing to uh, mass audiences than giving us two free games every week. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like my, my Epic collection, most of which I have not played, but it's probably bigger than most of my console collections of games <laughs> through the years. You know, I, I, I have like every Arkham game on there that I got it for free. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I still think that's probably the, the bigger appeal, but this I think this could like breathe more uh, life into just getting people to go there and then remember, oh, yeah, I can I can get these free games because I have forgotten about that at times, too. And, and I think use use it right now. I think for a lot of folks on PC, the Epic Game Store and the Epic Launcher is the Fortnite launcher. And as you mentioned, Chris, mm. I also have a lot of Epic uh, Game Store free game giveaways, but I claim them, but I don't then go into the launcher but right. I'll tell you what, I'm going to be in there every dang day when Alan Wake 2 is out because I have to be because that's where it's exclusive on PC. And so I think if they continue to get these big PC exclusives, it will be something people use instead of that digital hoarding that it sounds like you and I both do. It's like, oh, free, I'll take it. Will I ever open it? No, God, no, 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 no. But I want it. <laughs> They're giving it away free. I better grab it. Yeah. And yeah. I should say to Jeff, I am not necessarily in favor of this. Like my ideal situation is one not owned by any company storefront <laughs> and launcher. Like I don't love the idea of opening Spotify for the new Taylor Swift and Apple music for the new blink 182 and title for the new sting, you know, yeah. the gaming equivalent of that. I do not think is consumer friendly, but I think from a business standpoint of consolidation and what Microsoft is doing, I think Xbox of uh, Xbox Epic's shot here is, is interesting and one to be watched. Yes, I agree with you, but it also is a relatively minor annoyance in the in the grand scheme of things. Like, you know, I have that thing where I'm like, I can't remember if I have this on Epic or I have this on yeah, on Steam or I have this on Game Pass. Which one of them do I have it on? But it's not that big of a deal. And I think there are front ends that let you consolidate all that into one. I know that, for example, you know, I could run it all through my GeForce experience because it scans my hard drive and looks at everything I've installed and says, Here's everything, and it'll just one click. I can launch it. I'm not doing that either. So you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's it's a minor annoyance, but I do think this is a, a a good thing for developers in the sense of hey, if you can launch your game big and in that first six months get a lot of downloads, you get all that money. That's pretty yeah. remarkable. Coming that can from make a, the difference for for a game for sure. Like it just it, it could pay someone's salary or you know get like that one extra person you need to make the game great. So yeah, awesome. I mean deal. that's that's such a good thing to hear. And you've been in the trenches. You've been right. At, at I've actually worked on games this. that were partially epic funded as well. Uh, and I, I wonder if they're like if they're shifting away from that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if they're like shifting away from partially funding games. They, like you said, or one of you guys said that they kind of are part. <laughs> they kind of are funding it by giving them the money back. So yeah. Um, but yeah, I I don't know if like that if they might still be. Uh, partially funding games they're interested in, in definitely having for a while. But uh, yeah, this is an interesting approach. I think it could work out pretty well for him. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the story I thought you were going to bundle with your original story. Oh, no, story, you're doing Christian. another story. No, listen, no, okay, okay, go ahead. Could no, be yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. The one I thought you were going to bundle, Christian, <laughs> the way I thought you were going to break the rules 
is by bringing up the fact that we finally know what Project Q is going to be called. Uh, Mr. Uh, Game Streaming Future over here, Christian, not, you're not even bringing it up, that we now know it's called PlayStation Portal. We know that it is coming this year, which I'm surprised about. I really didn't think it was going to be a 2023 release. And we know it's going to be about 200 bucks. $199.99 is the price in the United States for PlayStation Portal, which will uh, officially allow you to stream your PS5 games from anywhere in your house using remote play over Wi-Fi. It's got an 8-inch LCD screen capable of 1080p at 60 frames per second. Looks like a dual-sense In a way, they're bringing back the PSP, you could say. In a way. PlayStation Portal, yeah. (laughs) Right, right. That's true. Good point. Uh, it is There's a only PSP. two letters separating portable from portal. There you go. It's PlayStation <laughs> Portal. It's PSP. Um, the PSP's back. Back. You just can't leave your house with it. Well, yeah, you can. Exactly. They did say as long as you have like a very robust internet, just like you can right now with remote play. Like I can, I've done it from hotels. I've done it from friends' houses with good Wi-Fi. But it is versus uh, XCloud or GeForce Now. It is not pulling from some data center somewhere. It is still going to your playstation 5 to the internet to then your um host device or you know uh screen device which in this case will be the playstation portal it has it, it's a dual shock uh dual sense whichever the, the playstation 5 controller whatever one they call yeah. that uh that it got that adapt, uh, adaptive triggers it's got that haptic feedback all the stuff got that, you that battery life <laughs> it sounds like. well yeah we'll find out about that more but I suspect that if it's not, if it's only streaming, maybe it will have a little bit better battery life. We hope. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Is think this a compelling so. thing at, at two hundred bucks, Chris? What do you think? Uh, maybe you know. I since I have a toddler, I've definitely found myself playing fewer PlayStation games. And if I had something like this, uh, I could feasibly see myself playing more PlayStation games as, as she watches Spidey and his Amazing Friends or whatever she's uh, looking into at the time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I see the appeal there. I don't necessarily need to travel with it or anything. You know, for, for me, there is a, I could use it. I, I really could. I don't know if I want to plunk down 200 bucks for it right now, but you know, maybe eventually. This is really the use case they're talking about is what you just described. Yeah. It's really the Wii U, you know, it's mm-hmm. the, what they described <laughs> the Wii U was for is the, the rest of your family's doing something else on the TV and you want to play some games. Here you go. Uh, Christian, 200 bucks. Do you think it's too high? What do you think? I really want to play with this thing. I do not think I will buy one because all it adds for me personally are the controller specific features. I have the, I even have the PlayStation branded backbone, you know, that gives me those PlayStation buttons if I want to connect that to my phone. And when we get to the playlist, I talk about some of the game streaming i have been doing recently and i can do remote play on my mac which i've done with my rest in peace stadia controller into my playstation and so i think 200 bucks is a little steep for me just to bring those haptics uh to my playstation streaming experience uh, but to make all alton brown um food network fans angry i like single purpose devices alton brown famously would say uh you should not have any single purpose device in your kitchen everything should have multiple purposes i really like the simplified one thing for one thing approach because i'm not left with that analysis paralysis or i'm on my phone and then 
Jeff butt dials me from the middle of his hood to coast and I get interrupted from my game stream. Um, <laughs> but $200 <laughs> for this specific device seems high, but I get it from a simplified approach of like, I play a PlayStation five games. I don't want to worry about a backbone. I don't want to worry about draining my phone's battery life. I don't want to set up, um, something on my steam deck. I don't want to go through the hoops that would be required to do this on another device. Even if those hoops are relatively low to jump over, um, cause that's what you do is you jump over hoops. Apparently <laughs> I mix <laughs> you don't jump through them. You jump over no, them. You jump over them and you go through the low bar. Um, yes. is how you do it. So I, I, I see it, but it, it, it's really feels like a niche product that could make the PlayStation VR two seem like a mainstream product. <laughs> <laughs> well, the price delta is significant. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think if they had come out with this at 99 instead of 199, they would have sold a, a, a ton of them at 199. I don't know how many they're going to sell. But I mean, we'll the controller's 70, though. Just the controller is 70. I, I recognize that. That's too high for a controller. <laughs> if it does as well as the PlayStation Mini did, then it'll be $99 by Christmas. Ooh. I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know when it comes out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it comes out. No, it won't take four long. Days before I know Christmas. I got my PlayStation Mini yeah. for like 30 bucks, like maybe four or five months later. It wasn't that long later. It'll be interesting to see and it. And it got lower after that. But I hope it does well for them. I hope, I hope it doesn't. Totally flop. <laughs> well, we clearly buried the lead. Uh, and so my story of the week, which Christian did not pick in any way, shape, or form. I dipsed. No dibsing. I <laughs> pick it. I pick Gamescom 2023's opening night live. Uh, Jeff Keeley again, brought the, uh, the hoopla, the pizzazz, the hype train to, uh, to Europe for Gamescom 2023. We got a whole bunch of games with new trailers, uh, some some game reveals, not very many, honestly. There's a lot of games that are already out that are that are, we already knew about that just had new trailers, which um, maybe takes the, the the shine off the rose a bit, but um, for me. But there was some really cool stuff that was still shown. Um, I thought the live action Starfield trailer was pretty cool. For what it is, it's a live action trailer. It's whatever. Okay, cool. And there's a lot of stuff that was like that. It was like, oh, that's cool. Like, okay, that's a cool thing. I will pick out a few of my favorites and allow you guys to do the same. I will say the clear standout for me of all the games shown, the the one that got me to sit up and take notice and go, oh my goodness, I'm excited for this one, is Crimson Desert, which I thought showed a ton of gameplay, real gameplay. That looked like my jam. I mean, it really, <laughs> it looks like those, uh, the Assassin's Creeds that I enjoy, the Odysseys, the Origins, uh, the, the Assassin's Creed RPG games, but also uh, definitely has got some, some Breath of the Wild, uh, Tears of the Kingdom action too. Uh, there was a lot of parachuting over things and uh, Sky Kingdoms that look, looked pretty cool. In fact, I suspect that that was in Crimson Desert for quite a long time. And I can only imagine what it was like when those developers saw the Tears of the Kingdom <laughs> announcement. They went, <laughs> we were doing that. And now Zelda's doing that. Oh. But I thought that game looked really cool. Lots of interesting animations and things to do. Um, so Crimson Desert was a huge standout for me. Um, I can let you guys uh, pull out some of yours, but I'll say just a couple of more that I thought were awesome. There is a uh, a new um, civilization-like game called 
ARA or ERA, A-R-A, History Untold, that looked very cool. This is the idea of civilization, but with alternate histories. So they're showing like the Eiffel Tower in the middle of the United States or, you know, these, these kind of weird alternate history versions of, of civilization. And it looked very expansive and very cool. I love Civ games. Uh, visually, it just looked so interesting the way um, farms, for example, you know, you build a farm in Civ and it's this t- tiny little square thing. And it looked like the farm was much more expansive and it looked, it looked more naturalistic, like the way civilizations take over land masses. It looked more authentic rather than sort of a video game or, or tabletop game board uh, like civilization can look sometimes. So definitely interested in Ara, Era, or whatever it's called, History Untold. And then I got to sh- give a shout out to a game I'm very much not interested in and yet was pretty taken by the, the showing that they had for it, which is Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. They showed an extended gameplay sequence. And just as a fan of video games, I go, oh, well, this is what you can make a first-person shooter look like when money is no object. And it was pretty stunning. This extended sequence they showed infiltrating this prison and trying to do this, instigating a, a prison riot and you know, going into night vision and coming out of night vision and blowing things up and taking dudes down and all of the Call of Duty-ness of it, just with a visual level of of verisimilitude. You know, it, it doesn't look there's a lot of video games that are beautiful, but don't look like the re, like real life, you know? And that's fine. I love beautiful. I mean, if you look at a Forza, for example, it every shot is gorgeous and it and, and realistic, but just the most always the most beautiful version of that. And Forza I think there's a Horizon, lot of it. to be clear. Forza Horizon. Horizon. I think Forza Motorsport very much does look real. It's a barren track. Yeah, in the middle yeah, of doing a different thing. Yeah, <laughs> maybe Forza is a bad example. The, the, I mean, I would even put like um, Last of Us Part Two in that category of like. I think Last of Us Part Two is visually stunning, but everything looks. Doesn't nothing I never look at it and go, oh my gosh, am I looking at video footage? Am I looking at someone's camera uh, on a phone? It, it's too gorgeous. For, it's too beautiful, right? Everything is beautiful. And I look at that Call of Duty footage and it's like, oh my gosh, that looks real. It's stunning. So anyway, those are my big takeaways. Uh Chris, did you get a chance to check out the uh, opening night live of Gamescom 2023? Yeah, I did. And I basically echo everything you said about Crimson Desert. As a fan of your show, I seem to remember you geeking out about that game when it was announced. Like yeah. three years ago, whenever it was, too. So, uh, I, so I yeah, it's that. definitely <laughs> one to watch for sure. Um, for those who don't know about me, like I actually have a big history in licensed games. I worked at LucasArts. I worked at Marvel for a long time, too. And... Um, so with that in mind, actually the Rebel Moon announcement mm. uh, from uh, Zack Snyder was on stage talking about his movie. And he's like, oh, yeah, we have this uh, game from Super Evil Megacorp. Um, and to me, like, I feel like we're on the cusp of, of uh, you know, I hear the word transmedia a lot or whatever. But, you know, in the past, there were movie games, right? And they, they weren't very good. I worked on some of them. Um you know, and then there were ones that, that were better, uh, you know, the Wolverine game, for example, I worked on, which people seem to like. That got an extra year because of a writer's strike. 
uh, it probably wouldn't have been as good a year earlier. So I think a lot of people, uh, you know, they hear an announcement like this and they kind of dismiss it because they remember movie games sucking or whatever. But when you've got uh, in your head that you're making a universe and everything that goes into this universe is something unique that connects and maybe it's not essential, but it still connects and enhances everything. Um, you know, I, I think that's that's a, a great way to go about it. You know, it, in I've heard a lot of like derision about what James Gunn wants to do with DC Comics and and in, including or, uh, movies, sorry, DC movies and, and incorporating games and everything, too. I think people are just so not into that because they're thinking of movie games. But if you're going in and you're, you're plotting out a universe and this game does this, maybe there's like a scene it shares with a movie or something, but it's a whole unique story. It's part of the canon. I think that's actually a good thing. And uh, yeah, that, that's kind of my spiel of like the, the state of, uh, yeah. of the, the transmedia of it all. So that really spoke to me and I'm really interested to see how that develops. Yeah. It's certainly a huge project and it looks very interesting. Um, Rebel Moon certainly one to keep an eye on. And, and Netflix, you know, is dabbling in video game stuff as well. It'll be interesting to see if this is more into that AAA side instead of the sort of mo- more mobile type games that they've been, yeah. been doing before. Um, Christian, any, any polls from uh, Opening Night Live that tickled your fancy? One is definitely a fool me once, uh, fool me twice, please don't fool me a third time approach. But that Phantom Liberty cyberpunk stuff, that looks real good. I agree, it, man. I it agree. looks real good. And, and maybe because I just finished Hijack on Apple TV Plus, uh, <laughs> which is Idris Alba. And I like that they're bringing the, some of the new gameplay styles to the base game. Uh, I love uh, the tech that cyberpunk, uh, the DLSS 3.5 and all of it, it's a it was a beautiful rig crushing game when it came out and they keep finding ways to introduce some bleeding edge tech that hopefully makes it crush your rig less but look even better and i mean i've been burned by cyberpunk so many times <laughs> but i could not help by being excited by what they showed for um phantom liberty it it looks I, I really, real good. I, I think this will be the third time I've installed that game on my hard drive. It was the first time when the <laughs> game, you know, first came out. Second time when it had the DLSS3 thing, and I just wanted to see how pretty it was. Uh, and yeah. this might be the time when I actually play through it. I, I just wish it wasn't coming out in this intense compression of all these huge games. It's coming out right around when Spider-Man 2 is coming out and all and Mario and all that that chaos in October. It feels... You know, this I think comes out right at the end of September, you know, so it's going to be in that mess of stuff with Starfield and all of it. So I think that's unfortunate because I feel like if it came at a more of a lull time, I would really dive in. And I, I, I want to love Cyberpunk finally, you know, and I got to say all of those cool 2.0 things that they were showing, like completely revamped tech trees mm-hmm. and skill mm-hmm. trees and and, uh, you know, all this cool mechanical upgrade that they got to just the pure base gameplay i'm into it like that's where the game should have been when it launched it looks awesome so i totally agree with you i I know it's a fool me once fool me twice situation but i do feel like this might be the game that they should have launched you know this might be it um it looks real good and the other one uh i mean i think it is my most anticipated game 
I think it was of the year when the year started, and I think it remains that way um, as we get closer to its launch, is Alan Wake 2. I think the new footage they showed of Alan Wake 2 is absolutely incredible. I love how Remedy continues to play with mixed media in their games. I mean, OG uh, Max Payne had that way back when. They certainly used a lot of that in Control, and seeing this new stuff for Alan Wake, and it looks like, I think, I don't know if they've confirmed outright or not, because I'm doing this thing where, like, I really want to dive into the waters and swim around and everything that they're saying about the game, but I also want to let some of it wash over me and be surprised by it. But I, I think it looks like it's using um, American Nightmare as a starting point. Like, you don't need to have played Alan Wake 1 and all the DLC to jump into Alan Wake 2, but it looks like they're rewarding players that have... I'm sure they're going to set up some of those concepts and themes, but it just looks stunning and absolutely stunning. And I love it. Look like they were using some of the tech they uh, brought to the front in control with the environmental damage and papers flying everywhere. And then like mixed media on top of that, it just, Ooh, it looks like my jam. And I'm glad that nothing else is coming out around the same time. it does. <laughs> yeah. Wide open time to play Alan Wake too. Um, I want to mention just a couple of other games. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in here, even if over overall it wasn't this, you know, like, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming type of a show. Um, I thought Dustborne looked kind of interesting. I don't know what, you know, it's it's a, a dialogue-driven story-based game with looked like it has some combat as well. I thought the, speaking of combat, I thought the Mortal Kombat 1 trailer looked fantastic. I mean, that game continued to look like another home run. Or another realm but the game that i came away going i don't have any idea what this is but i definitely want to play it is thank goodness you're here did you guys see that what is th- what nonsense is this what chaos it, it, that looks like a uh, child's animated tv series aesthetic like uh, an ad- almost had like adult swim yeah. zany vibes yeah, to it as well for sure it looks very adult but it drawn like a child's cartoon. And uh, I have no idea what you look like. There's some platform. <laughs> I have no idea what you do in this game. Yeah, it's but, the kind of thing where I feel like, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'd actually play it, but I really respect that it exists. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think I want to play it. I think I, I'm, I'm down for whatever zaniness it's offering. So thank goodness you're here. I don't know what you are, but I want you, you know? That's what I think. Okay. <laughs> so that was uh, Gamescom opening night live 2023. There, you know, I thought overall, uh, you know, another show interrupted by somebody hopping onto stage, which is very frustrating. And, and you know, let's come and on. I didn't waste any Jeff. time either right off the bat. Yeah. I feel for Jeff because presenting is hard. Um, we've all done our share of introducing whether oh, it's yes. a product or hosting a, a thing and you get in front of live people and anything can happen. And I hope they are able to figure that out in a way that allows him and other presenters to feel safe without it also being, here's an 80 foot gap between you and the audience you're trying to connect with. But if I'm, you know, um, Zack Snyder waiting in the wings and I see someone jump on stage, or if I'm Nick Cage waiting in the wings and I see someone jump on stage, that stuff's scary. And I I hope they get it sorted out. Yep. And, you know, I think it was, it seemed like a wise leaning in at the time when he kind of, the first guy that did that, he kind of interviewed him and turned it into a thing like that. But also that guy got his 
he got something out of it. And so it incentivizes new guys to do that. And it's a bummer. Uh, so, uh, you know, I just, it's a bummer to see it. All right. Well, we got games to talk about. So let's jump into the next segment, which is the playlist. Chris, what has made your playlist recently? Yeah, you know, I just talked about the Rebel Moon, uh, which is coming out from Super Evil Megacorp. And, and I, I realized, you know, they put it out a Ninja Turtles game a few months ago, and I haven't played it. And I love Ninja Turtles. In fact, I think a year ago when I was here, I was talking about the Cowabunga collection in this segment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, so, yeah, I was like, I've heard good things about this Turtles game that I've never played. I have Apple Arcade. I just forget all the time that I have Apple Arcade. I don't, <laughs> that's just kind of the way it is with that. So, yeah. um, you know, it's the kind of game you can play on your phone, but, you know, it definitely works better with a controller if you have an Apple TV. And that's the way I played it. Um, and, you know, terrible gamer confession yet. I've never played Hades. But what, we're, Chris uh, and I are what, not familiar what, with that game. What could you also? <laughs> I don't know what but, that is. But uh, that's that's what everyone seems to compare it to. Um, sort of a turtles version of Hades, where you can play multiplayer. Um, and it, you know, I, I just, I, it makes me really want to play Hades, even though I, I own that through Epic. Uh, going back to every there you go, story, right? I yeah. think I got it for free. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, it, it, it like uh, it, it's all about. Uh, just like making your way through the sewers. It's very linear, it ha- but I, I have, I have, I know enough about Hades to know it has the same kind of, uh, you know, uh, view, like kind of three quarters ish view of the screen and, and you're, you know, you're going room to room killing things. But, you know, I, I just love that, you know, I go through multiple times and it's never boring because it always kind of uh, changes who your enemies are. Sometimes introduces old mini bosses and stuff. Um, and you know, it's, it's kind of weird. You can't jump as a turtle, but you know, just the way that this, the battle system works is, you know, a lot of times you just want to like dart behind an enemy and hit them. And, but there's all these other ones coming from everywhere. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. And, uh, I've, I've made it past the first part. I'm well into the second part. Um, in Hades, do you, do you play the entire game through every time you die? Like, do you have to start? At the uh, first level of okay, yeah, Christian's nodding. So yeah, I mean, basically, I figured changed. that was the case. There are changes to the, to your world, yes, you know, potentially, but yes, yes. But I really love too, like narratively, you know, you die and there's dialogue about you dying and you know how you just got saved by this and and it, it's part of the story. There's never a true game over. Yeah, and uh, sometimes even you know if you are very good at the game and don't die, you're probably going to miss some story. It just, it just seems that way. You know, I suck. So I die a lot. And I <laughs> uh, but I'm really enjoying playing through that. So this is TMNT splintered fate. Yes. Splintered uh, fate. Yes. It's, it's listed on Apple arcade as being 12 plus. I'm wondering if my soon to be seven year old, who's now obsessed with uh, the turtles from mutant mayhem is this is it 12 plus because of its complexity or because it has some sort of uh content that's a little more oh, the content's sure. fine it, yeah. it's uh it's it's i don't remember anything objectionable in that but um yeah it's uh probably first complexity mm. 
Okay. You yeah, know, I, it, at I that mean, age, keep... you're probably playing through things, you know, like I played Super Mario Brothers, you know, yeah. how many times have we played 1-1? One, one? A million times and it's right. fine. So, yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. I keep not mentioning this game because I think it came like it came out the same week as some huge game. And then I was like, oh, I'll talk about it next week. Talk about it. I never got around talking about it, talk, uh, talking about it. But I played a decent amount of it on my phone with my backbone. And it, it is it's complexity and upgrades and that kind of stuff. Yeah. It is definitely the Nickelodeon Turtles, not uh, it's Mikey and last- Raph and Leo. Yes, it is, yeah, it is not the upcoming third person adventure. Um and graphic right (laughs) yeah it's not the last running yeah Uh, very cool so splintered fate there you go uh what else is on your playlist uh well the game i've been playing since launch uh you've talked about a good bit on your show marvel snap is something i play almost every day um you know as someone who used to work at marvel it's i feel like i have like sort of a unique perspective on this I, i really love the game it's like there's days i've played probably two or three hours straight and yeah you know, totally wasted my evening or whatever, but it's not wasted time if you're having fun. Right. Um, but yeah, I, every month I get really close to getting the infinite level of a hundred and I never quite make it there. Uh, and (laughs) well, I don't know. I see my friends on Twitter and everything saying, I got it in a week. And it's like, "Ah." but I, I have this thing where like, I can't, I have to do my deck. If it's someone else's deck that they're like, this works really well, or if it's a deck I've seen a lot against me that, uh, that yeah, you know, like people playing Galactus and everything. It's like, I don't want to do that because I hate that. And I'm going to make them hate me for a different reason. Like, uh, <laughs> I use Kingpin. It's not that in a I don't want them to hate about, me. I just yes. don't want them to hate me in the same way I hate other people. <laughs> I want to put down Cloak and then not have them realize that I have Kingpin waiting in the wings. So that when they use my cloak to move their guy over, I sm- smash them all on turn six. That's one of my strategies that I, I don't really it. see anybody else do. It works <laughs> pretty well. Uh, you know, like there's, but you know, I'm like, I feel like the guy, you know, there's always those guys on steam who were like thumbs down on this game, 2000 hours, hours played. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm never going to do that, but there's like stuff that kind of frustrates me as someone who used to work on Marvel games, how I feel like it could be just a little bit better. Like, you know, I, I'd love like an actual story. Like it doesn't have to be great, but like some tutorial mode or something, even something very light with the themes they do every month. I'd love to see that. Um, I feel like they're missing out a lot and not giving us bios and descriptions of, of these cards we're playing and these places we're going. Like yesterday, like the featured place was the Altar of Death. What's your favorite Altar of Death story, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> Is that Lady um, Death's Altar? Yeah, I mean, I feel like in the 90s, you know, I learned so much about Marvel through playing cards, like clear playing yeah, cards. And stuff yeah, yeah. Like There's no way to just know who Arrow or Debris are. Like, right, yeah. I have a it's, pretty good knowledge of Marvel. I don't know who those characters are. I just know I like to use them every so often. Right. No, you're um, right. It would be it, it would be awesome to have like a uh, um, a um, oh, what's the where they have in, in those games a uh, not not encyclopedia. Yeah, yeah, just like yeah, a, exactly, like a, yeah. a thing you could dig into and really kind of see all that. It would not. It seems to me it wouldn't be a huge lift to add. You just in. need a line about everybody. Yeah, like, yeah. One yeah. line, especially like, because what? they're not. I I, I love that they are so representative of physical cards. I think that's a very cool commitment to the bit, but also because they aren't physical cards, it's not as if 
they couldn't have a hyperlink on the back or something that yeah. takes you to the Marvel encyclopedia and, and builds that out in a way. Uh, I do wonder if there is something to just trying to keep it as clean as possible. I know the official yeah. PC release just came out as well. I think that was a Gamescom announcement. Yeah, it was. And it's get people in and get people playing. And then maybe the hope is, I mean, heck, if people would open up a separate website for Destiny lore back in the day, uh, Marvel Snap can get people invested in the characters enough to Google uh, Alters to go to of fandom, Death. not Marvel.com. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I wish it had just like that simple element. Yeah. I think it adds so much. The word I was um, looking for was compendium. compendium. Compendium, that's a good word. Anyway, good word. yes, I agree. Uh, that would be very, very cool. I, I, I broke myself of my habit of Marvel Snap and I have not gone back to it. And I... Kind of when I hear you talk about it, I kind of go. Like, oh, <laughs> I know that's the way. I, I have a friend it. who hates it, and every time he mentions it. it, I'm like, I gotta play it right now. It's I miss like, it. It was it's so <laughs> delightful, and it's like, but it's it's better for my life that I haven't been playing it. But also, I miss it. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I know. <laughs> what else is on your playlist? Uh, I recently beat Jedi Survivor. Finally, it, it took a long time. Great uh, game. It's just the way life is these days. Yeah, it is a great game. Um. I don't want to spoil anything, but there's like there's stuff near the end that is is great narratively. But I I kind of wish like in some ways it let me have more player agency, but it, it might be setting up some stuff for the next game. Yes. That maybe we haven't seen in the the series yet. And I'm I'm very interested to see if maybe the maybe they integrate like how you play more in, into you know, what happens later on a little more open-ended kind of, kind of like in, in Jedi Knight back where you could be, you could play as a Jedi or dark Jedi or whatever. Right. I was, I'd love to see that in the next one. We'll see. I don't know, but I really love that game. It's a, it's a, a number. Uh, it has number 13 in most memorable moments in my book. Oh, nice. That's <laughs> that was cool. one of my additions. I That's to pretty good. Number 13 is pretty yeah. high. I yeah. uh, I know I think I know what you're talking about. Christian and I were very divided about it in our spoiler discussion that mm. patrons can I check need to out. listen to that. Yeah, um, and uh, I I do think it might be interesting to to have a, a mechanic like you're talking about in a subsequent game because you know in this game it didn't take away all the stuff that you got in the first game. It sort of just built on it, and it would be cool right. if they do that again in the third iteration. That they yes. build on it from here. I think that would be a, a way to do it is to build in some sort of light, dark thing. That'd be cool. Um, but yeah, great game. I, I, I worry that this will be one of those games that with the, the, just the absolute crush of big heavy hitters at the end of the year, it's going to be overlooked by a lot of game of the year discussions. And I hope yeah, not. It was because... like a week away from Zelda back when it came out. And uh, so a lot of people stopped playing it right away. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's a great game, and I, if you forgot about it and you didn't finish it, I highly recommend going back to it. Yes, fantastic story. I think it, one of my favorite Star Wars games. I'm, I mean, I'm talking to an expert, so I'm not that, but I would say it's definitely in my favorites uh, of all time. Yeah, I think it's. I would say so as well, and the last one too, for that matter. Yeah, agreed. I think it builds a lot. It improves on the first uh, yeah. Jedi. Uh, what was the Jedi first one? Fall in order. order. Fall in order. Thank you. Christian Spicer, you've been playing a brand new release that I think also uh, is in danger of being swallowed up by all these other huge games, but uh, a, a brand new IP 
a game that I thought looked really interesting and cool. Tell me what you think of Immortals of Avium. Yeah, so I was provided a code for PS5 for Immortals of Avium, and this game just missed our being up on last week's show because of embargo and timing and stuff like that. So I posted uh, right when it was up over on my blog at christianspicer.com, my kind of written thoughts of, of the game fresh, you know, fresh off the top of the dome when I was able to get those out. And so I want to start by saying, uh, as you mentioned, it is a, not only a new IP, but from a new studio, Ascendant Studios. It's published by Electronic Arts, part of, I think, their first EA Originals game of this kind of next attempt of EA to bring um, some smaller developers or, or newer developers a bigger exposure. They've done this before with other games. I think Unravel, was that an EA thing as well? I don't remember. But going back to Immortal of Avium, I really applaud what this game is doing. It is a new game, new studio, new IP, and it is swinging for the fences. It is using Unreal Engine 5.1, the first time that that is done on consoles, I believe, aside from Fortnite, um, bringing Unreal Engine 5 to consoles. And it is a new fantasy IP that I think has so much cool world building. I won't spoil anything in the game. The very beginning levels, you're on this kind of shanty town, slum town that's built on the side of a bridge that's clearly part of a larger world. And the camera zooms out and you see all these structures that are built on the side of this existing structure and how people are getting around. And I think it showcases a lot of the Unreal Engine 5 technology to be able to have all of this stuff happening in real time. And it's a, a world that feels lived in and real. There is an ever war going on and it explains what that is in a way that these people have just grown up with war. Um, unfortunately, I think a story that is very true for a, a lot of people today as well. But in this fantasy setting, it, it makes its case for being a very cool new IP. We talked about what Zack Snyder wants to do with Rebel Moon. And I think while Immortals of Avium isn't announced as this big transmedia project, I think it sets the stage for that stuff very well in terms of introducing characters that have existed before you've met them. It's not, you know, I joke about sometimes in video games when it cuts to a new scene, you can see like Aloy's hair kind of respawn and like flop. And I feel like a lot of games narratively have that same approach where it feels like three characters were just dropped into a world and they're like, Oh, we're here now also. And I yeah. also don't know the world. And Immortals at Mavium has this world that feels lived in by these characters as you meet them. And yeah, I, it is. I, let me just okay. say, I, I played the opening bits of this game as well. And um, I didn't get very far into it, but it's, it is, I completely agree with everything you've said. It, it is really actually unfortunate that more games don't attempt to do this, this wet well. Um, it is a really lovely intro into the world, and I've, it felt very literary to me. It felt like I was reading a fantasy novel more than playing a game. It, it felt so well-realized and so unique and interesting in its own way. It had a lot of quirky details that were just there to make the world more interesting. And it reminded me a lot of a, a book I read called The uh, Lies of Locke Lamora, which is about a a group of it's like a fantasy oceans 11 it's a group of thieves and you are introduced to this sort of ragtag gang of 
um, you know, orphan thieve children that live, you know, underground in this little uh, community that they have. And I just thought, man, what a cool way to bring me into this world. And even the the opening title sequence felt more like a movie than very cinematic. A, yeah, more like it felt like it wanted to really invoke Marvel movies and the way you're brought into those kinds of films. And I, I completely agree with you that the the level of ambition for this brand new project is really to be applauded. Yes. And uh, again, there are twists and turns that happen along the way. I do not want to spoil them, but it also presents a villain that exists and is known. And I feel like a lot of stuff, you know, we've talked about some Marvel stuff uh, on this episode as well. And a lot of more Marvel, newer Marvel IP is constantly introducing these new villains in the cinematic universe. And it's like, who's Kang? Oh, wow. Now we have to react to him. And in this game, Immortals of Avium does a really good job of having a villain that exists that the characters already know, but then also still introduces that person to the player in an interesting way. I, I don't feel left mm. out of the conversation. Um, and it is a shooter. Like, make no mistake about it. It is a first-person shooter game wrapped in this these fantasy tropes and trappings and world. But what I really applaud the game for is it doesn't use the typical left trigger, right trigger you know, shoulder button grenade control scheme that so many first person shooters all have adopted, you know, the call of duty approach. Even Halo has taken on the more call of duty approach to controls. And in Immortals, you are doing magic spells with your hands and and shooting magic bursts. Again, it very much a first person shooter, but I think it was smart in how they redesigned the control scheme. It made it feel fresh to me and it made it feel interesting in a way that it didn't feel like I was playing Call of Duty, but uh, spells instead Mm. of bullets because my hands were doing something physically different. It helped bring me into that world. One thing I think is so amazing about video games is that interactivity and some stuff that Alex Solman and I have talked about on feeling this is how those little choices can help you feel connected to a game more. And I don't know if the developers did that on purpose or not, but I found that it helped bring me into this magic world more by needing to do things different on the controller than I would in a Call of Duty. And it's not a worse experience. It's not like, oh, to shoot in Immortals of Avium, you have to push left on the D-pad plus select and the try. <laughs> it's not that. It's just a slightly different control scheme than what you'd have in Call of Duty, which is, I think, really cool. The powers, the upgrades the flow of combat reminded me a lot of single player destiny moments and folks that have listened to this show know that i think destiny 2 is probably the greatest modern first person shooter game so anytime i felt like i was in a destiny style flow this game was very you know really clicking for me and very high on my list of fun first person shooter experiences the biggest things that this game has going against it is one, Jeff, you already mentioned, when it's come out. (laughs) I think it is just super unfortunate when this game is launching. And I know sometimes in film, you'll have the counter-programming release to, you know, this is for the kids, this is for adults, this is for boys, this is for women kind of style release. I don't know if this game does enough different, even though it's a different genre, but because of its setting and because of its kind of gear tree, I don't know if it does enough different to maybe be that counter-programming style game for folks that have already lost themselves to Baldur's Gate and now are about to lose themselves to Starfield or any of the other games that have already um, come out this year that have been on their backlog for too long. So that's one. Two, while I love the world building, 
and I, I love the performances and um, how those actors are brought to life on screen. I think the Unreal Tech is put on display in a beautiful way. The actual delivery of the story left me flat. It felt to me like the Marvel dialogue meme turned to 11 of as these characters started to exist in this world more and I started to spend more time with them. They felt flippant and arrogant in a way that I found more grating than enjoyable to be around. It's that razor's edge of a Nathan Drake protagonist or a Chris Pratt guardians of the galaxy, you know, protagonist. And I think when done well is incredible, but when you don't hit that razor's edge, I find it excruciating to listen to. And the more time I spend it's about 25 hours, uh, run through the game. I found those cutscenes to be not a reward that cutscenes often are. I, they felt a little bit like a burden and it was just moments of like, you'd meet someone new who's a, this is a, generalization but like who's the general of the army that you've been trying to impress you know your whole career and you finally get this chance to meet him and your character walks in and is just like what's up loser oh i know now i know why we suck so bad glad i'm here high fives you know it's it's not that but it very much felt like that to me and um that was a bummer and the last thing um i think unreal 5.1 might stress consoles a little too much playing oh, really? on ps5 it uses fsr to up-res everything and so because of that i believe in uh, digital foundry has a, a video out like an analysis of all the different SKUs. but i believe in my playthrough the native res is 720p and then upscaled to 4k for on playstation 5 and because of that, things look fuzzy. It does not look as crisp and clear mm. as Horizon or God of War, you know, or some of these um, built for PlayStation 5 games do. It does run at a pretty locked 60 frames per second, which I think is incredible, but it just looked a little Vaseline-y to me, which I think is a bummer. And um, I have not played it on PC, so I don't know if my beefy GP could muscle its way through but it's a little bit of a bummer that the picture isn't as crisp. It reminds me of Forspoken when that first launched, kind of the yeah. fuzziness that that game had. Um, I think this game is going to be a lot like Forspoken in, in too many ways, uh, unfortunately. I, well, I think dialogue and, yeah, that I and release time. feel to it, which I think, I don't know, I played very little of this game, but it, it definitely, I thought was, I preferred it to Forspoken, personally. And... Um, for what little I played of it. But I, I I think it's a bummer that this and Forspoken are both trying to be new IP, trying to bring something new to the table, trying to forge a new fantasy world that's a little different, a little more, you know, and and I suspect both of them will suffer the same fate. Uh, I hope that's not true for Mortals of Avium, but we've already seen Forspoken kind of flop, and I, I hope that that's not the case with this game, but it just feels like it's being led out to to its doom it's it is tough but man there's cool stuff in it and how the world they've built like one small example is like when you're talking to someone on comms who's off screen on your team uh instead of it just being in your head or a picture in picture you have this physical thing in a world it's like a green crystal and you pick it up and you float it in front of you and then you see their face in the crystal that's rad as if their face is also in a crystal, like they have that effect on it that like, this is some magical crystal window that you used to talk, but they also don't 
spend time explaining it. Like, take your calm crystal. In Avium, <laughs> calm crystals work. You know, it's just yeah, this yeah. thing that exists in the world. Yeah. And there's so much of that that's smart. I think, you know, if you do have a lull in your gaming and you like shooters, keep your eye on this uh, for sure. And more for me, I'm very excited for what Ascended Studios does next because I think this is a heck of a swing and a heck of a first foray. It's yeah. I hope a it's lot not to a be setback applauded. for them. I hope, it, I hope they move forward from it. Immortals of Avium. It's available now and the second thing is actually several games but i will be brief about them but uh geforce now and xbox game pass xbox game pass pc games are now available via geforce now and this was part of the activision uh microsoft merger make everybody happy concession so (laughs) if you like to layer your subscriptions (laughs) well that's the thing that's the thing with with Game Pass Ultimate, not PC Game Pass, but with Game Pass Ultimate, you do get xCloud access, which is Microsoft's streaming cloud-based service that has a lot of these games on cloud. And GeForce Now brings Xbox PC games to their service, so it does require two subscriptions, or you could purchase them via Xbox as well, but it does require two subscriptions. But playing these services now back-to-back for my money it really highlights how much better of a streaming experience GeForce Now is than the current state of xCloud. The thing I really wanted to highlight is I used Gears 5 as kind of my test as I sat. I was playing on my Samsung The Frame TV, which has access to all of these things just you know natively. So there's not even a little dongle in there. I was using my Rest in Peace Stadia remote to keep <laughs> me connected to the cloud now and forever. You and got that remote for free, ultimately. I, I did. I did. As a founder. As a founder. As a founder. As, as your a reward founder. forever. <laughs> um, but jumping in and playing Gears 5 on both, the Gears 5 on xCloud is a version of Gears 5 that you are served, and you can't tweak much with it. In X, uh, in GeForce Now, you are getting the PC version of Gears 5, and I'm a, a GeForce Now Ultimate uh, member. And so... You, you have all of those PC options where you can really craft the experience you want, you know, based on your internet connectivity and stuff like that, how crisp it will be for you. But I'm getting the best version of this PC game streamed wireless to me. And I found the latency to be better. I found the picture to be better. I found my options to be more accommodating than what xCloud gives you. And so, yes, it's, you know, a peanut butter jelly sandwich of subscriptions, but G, again, for my money, GeForce Now is the best way to play cloud games, and I hope more games come to the service because this feels like a nice, real big um, boon for folks that already have GeForce Now and are looking to check out some of those Xbox games. It was awesome. Very cool. Very cool. That's GeForce Now uh, and Xbox Game Pass playing happily together uh, on Christian's streams. All it took was several countries saying, don't merge. <laughs> All it took was an international effort to stop a monopoly. Anyway, um, <laughs> it ultimately failed, by the way. Um, my playlist this week consists of a game that I have been uh, very much anticipating since I played its demo on Steam Next Fest. It's called Sea of Stars. This is a new a throwback a JRPG-style role-playing game from Sabotage Studio. This is the studio that did The Messenger 
which is a game I really liked. That this was is a prequel to The Messenger, right? Like it is in universe or in world. I suppose uh, it didn't really. I guess I suppose it didn't really hit me on the no, hit me on the head with all that, though. You know, it's easy to not notice. I think, uh, but maybe sure. I, maybe I'm just dumb. That's a good way to do it. Going back yeah. to my earlier point about you know connecting worlds. You know, they don't have to be directly connected yes. all the time. It just needs to be under an umbrella, right? I agree. I think that that's probably a cool way to do it. I yeah. thought uh, the messenger was fantastic. It's an old, you know, it's a, a old school um, looking a retro throwback pixel art um, uh, roguelite. Ninja Gaiden like is an action platformer um, where there's, you know, then it shows some Metroidvania and then it, right. it does more stuff after that. So this game, um, very different from that game. Very different genre. Uh, yes. This is like old school Chrono Trigger. Or I would even rec- I a lot of people are comparing it to Chrono Trigger, which I think, you know, the game does not shy away from that at all, that comparison. But it reminded me a lot of Golden Sun, which is an old Nintendo DS game that I played a lot. Um, I guess it was even before. I think it was like Game Boy Advance. Yeah, it was GBA. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, Sea of Stars is that is a throwback. Pixel art, top down, get a party, turn-based combat overworld map then you go into them you know into these nodes and fight monsters and have big boss fights i think the story is lovely i have not finished the game but i i think the characters are charming i think it's really it's lovely the writing is is uh, the, the word i would use is charming i think the game is very charming it's fun to hang out with these characters there are some interesting twists to the storyline and the world is vibrant and colorful and fun to be in. It, it, the art is fantastic. The combat system is also really cool, I think. Turn-based combat, but you have, uh, you have these two main characters, and you can fill out your party with other characters that you encounter along the way, but the two main characters have sun powers and moon powers, respectively. And... Uh, they're really the only super-powered beings in, in the... They're very important super-powered beings. But they can sort of share their superpowers with other people for short periods of time, which is kind of cool. You can imbue... You know, if you do a basic attack on an enemy, it, like, spews out all this magic... These magic spheres. And you your other characters can suck them in and collect them right before they do their attacks. So it infuses their attacks with some of the magic elemental energy that the main characters leave out which is kind of neat and the reason you would want to do that other than just empowering your attacks is that the enemies will charge up their own very powerful attacks and in doing so will show you a grid of sort of like an unlock pattern that if you hit them with specific attacks in that unlock pattern you can prevent them from doing their attack. So it'll say like in three moves, That's this cool. guy is going to do an attack. And so like sun, sun, moon, and just a regular uh, blade attack is its unlock pattern. So you have to figure out a way to cycle through your attacks and hit that guy with sun, sun, moon, and then blade attack from the various ways you can assemble those kinds of attacks from your party in order to cancel that big move from the bad guy. So it really becomes like a puzzle game in that regard. And I dug that because the game is not 
easy in that it, it, it can really <laughs> it, it can really it doesn't make all of that just simple oh obviously because you have very few moves to get in that lock code and sometimes multiple enemies will be doing different locks since you're like oh my gosh which one am i even going to do and how am i even going to pull that off because i just used up all my mana on a, a big sun attack and now i can't even do another sun attack and this guy's queuing up a lock that needs a sun attack so i gotta g- generate some mana somehow and you and i gotta you know do an attack that shoots out those orbs so that another character can charge their basic attack with a sun power to do that it's like there's a lot of moving pieces that i found very satisfying to you know maneuver through it's to figure out that that lock pattern each time is so so challenging potentially and and interesting just interesting if you miss are you dead is it like a fail state like one enemy super will kind of nuke you or do you have no but but you don't by default get your health back at the end of every fight so you're Mm. you're kind of running you can run low on health there's a whole cooking mechanic in the game and fishing uh, because there's no potions per se there's uh, the only way to get uh, health back is by eating things and there's like all different recipes that'll give you different bonuses and it's, it's there's kind of fun stuff there as well uh to to deal with um, but so you have to manage your health very smartly and, uh, you know, just moving through trash mobs can run down your health and then you're going to have to either sleep or, or eat things to generate it back. Um, and with a boss fight, the, I mean, there are some major difficulty spikes in this game in the same way there used to be in those old Chrono Trigger games where you're like, I got to go grind because I'm not going to get past this. And I found that to be a little frustrating, but definitely a throwback to those old times because there are Mm. boss fights where if you don't block an enemy's thing you're toast because it'll just decimate you um but also that's kind of fun right because it ups the stakes of pulling off those cool uh combos and figuring out that little puzzle so i I have nothing but really really positive things to say about sea of stars i want to finish it it has become my go-to uh steam deck game I'll say, yeah, what are you playing on? Because it's on everything. I think it's on Game Pass as well when it yeah, uh, it's on comes S- out here in a couple Switch. of days. It's on, uh, it's, it, it's been a black, I got it early. I got a code for it. I got it early. So I've been playing it for a couple of weeks. And it's, again, it's a bummer that this really big, interesting, fun role-playing game is coming out in the midst of a lot of big, fun, interesting role-playing games, right? Baldur's Gate, Starfield. There's just, it's a very crowded genre right now. You, you go for years Without a good meaty RPG to sink your teeth into. And then, you know, in the span of a month, you get four of the biggest ones that have all taken years and years to develop. It's very unfortunate. And I hope Sea of Stars doesn't get lost in that mix, because if this came out at a time when no other RPGs were coming out, it would be like a breath of fresh air. It would be this really fun throwback to, you know, that old 16-bit era but done with a modern sensibility. Like it doesn't feel like an old game. It, it feels nostalgic, but it's very competent, very smartly made. There's a lot of really cool flourishes, like moving around the map. There's lots of puzzles in that regard is an overstatement because it's, it's not going to, there's nothing difficult, but it, you know, there's enough little things you need to do that make it fun. Oh, and the other thing I will say is that for a turn-based game, 
it does a lot of um a lot of interactive moments in the course of a of a combat it kind of reminds me of like paper mario uh when you would do an attack and then you still have to hit the button at the right time it's turn based mm-hmm. but you're still hitting the button at the right mm-hmm. time like you can block um attacks in this game and it'll it won't eliminate damage but it'll reduce damage and sometimes if you don't successfully block some attacks you are going to be dead and that requires a timed button press that is different the timing is different for every enemy so it's almost dark souls like in a strange way um because you have to sort of watch the animation cycle and know the exact time to push the block to push the button to block for your characters and there's you know it does a really smart thing where you can um you can equip these relics that will change up the game like that's how you modify game difficulty is equipping these relics and one of the relics that i've been using constantly is one that'll like shoot off a little star if you do your button press perfectly and so you can do a button press to like potentially trigger a second attack on your character or to do the block that's cool so so it'll it'll show you it'll like go you did it right i'm like oh that's cool way to learn the timing is to have this visual feedback as to whether you did it right um that's very cool yeah so lots of really smart stuff like that in the game and a fun story with charming characters in a really vibrant lovely world sea of stars very easy recommend for me i know it's hard time for role-playing games but if you have nostalgia for chrono trigger for golden sun for those 16-bit era jrpgs this i think is a stellar entry into that list yeah you sold me way back when you just said eh, it's kind of like chrono trigger <laughs> yeah yeah that's all i need I mean, there's <laughs> no, no, like, the extra was time nice travel stuff in it yeah. but you know it's uh still sure still very cool all right well that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But Chris Baker, awesome to talk to you. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you so much for the invite. This was so much fun. Went by super fast, as it always does. You need to do it more than once a year. That's for sure. Um, I'm, I'm out here. <laughs> <laughs> tell us, tell us, uh, tell everybody how they can keep up with you and, and your book and all yeah, the cool stuff. Yeah, you're up well, to. Uh, the website I will always call Twitter is at cbake76. That's my most active social network. I'm also that on, I think I'm that on threads. <laughs> I don't use that that much, but I, I, I should, uh, I just joined blue sky and I'm just at Seabake there that I got that. Nice. This time. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, scorpionvader.com. That's the, that's the theme of this episode. <laughs> Love it. Scorpionvader.com for that cool book. Check it out. Support Chris and, and his, uh, uh, journey back through star Wars video game history very cool christian spicer what about you what do you got going on this week well i mentioned that feeling this season two continues on this week um with alex and i recording again this week and those episodes will be out soon after uh we get them done there had been kind of a you know a release cadence to them and then life and work and travel and stuff got in the way of that cadence but we are back in the saddle so to speak we are jumping over those hoops and running through those low bars to uh, finish <laughs> season two for folks. And then, uh, like I mentioned, you know, when sometimes when games embargoes come up and I, I want to say something about them and not wait just for this show, I'll always talk about them on this show as well. But when I just can't wait, you can find that at my website, which is just christianspicer.com over in the blog section. I will drop them there. And then this show is on threads 
It is DLC Hype Train, where you can find um, this show on threads. I'm also there, Christian underscore Spicer, if you want to check things out over on uh, the billionaires, the not as bad billionaires <laughs> social messaging site, social media site. <laughs> Never can tell with billionaires, though, you know. I mean, I'll tell you what, if I was a billionaire, I would own all of them. You know, I'd catch them all. I'd buy every social media site and uh, yeah, <laughs> run them to the ground. <laughs> it does seem like I mean, the I drive fun a thing. Tesla too. I might as well go full scale evil. That's that's kind of. <laughs> it does seem like the fun thing for billionaires is like, let's yeah. just see how I can destroy something that millions of people enjoy. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, man. Uh, Tom from MySpace did it right. He became a multi hundred millionaire. Yeah, and just ghosted, and he's living. It seems like he's having fun. People dog MySpace, but nobody dogs Tom. Tom's still in my top eight, life. dude. He's still in my top He's eight. Everybody's friend. Yeah, thank you. Top yeah, eight, now and forever. Millionaire for me, you know. <laughs> Everybody's first friend, even. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on those same places. I'm at Jeff Canada, pretty much everywhere. Uh, that's spelled with two N's and one T. I also have other shows for you to check out. The Filmcast is a show about movies and TV shows. It is good fun. Uh, you can check it out wherever you get podcasts. I also do We Have Concerns, a comedy science show where you can learn something and laugh along the way. And the Fan Controlled Show, which is a sports show that's also mostly goofy, uh, but good times. So check those out, Fan Controlled Sports and Entertainment. Uh, check any of those shows out wherever you get fine audio enjoyment. Also, probably video. There's anywhere. Just, you know what? You'll find it. All right, let's wrap the show up now. With our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Chris, do you have a recommendation to help people get through their week? Have you guys heard of like Star Wars? Have I mentioned that? I my understanding <laughs> is that you are well steeped in Star Wars. That's my understanding. Uh, so uh, there's uh, a, a book that actually has like a, a marketing budget and stuff behind it that, that's out <laughs> this week. I, I haven't read it yet, but going on the previous two, I know I'm going to love it. It's called uh, Return of the Jedi from a Certain Point of View, I believe. Uh, it's it's a thirtieth fan or thirtieth or fortieth fortieth anniversary of Return of the Jedi uh, a celebration and. Uh, what if you, you're not familiar with these from a certain point of view books? They've uh, they came out with The New Hope and Empire Strikes Back as well, and it's 40 short stories about just ancillary characters in the background most oh, wow. of the time. Sometimes it's characters you know, but uh, you know, like the the A New Hope one gave context to R five D four shutting down, right? Like there's amazing. So am I going to get like uh, understanding what a day in the life of a Gamorrean guard is like? Because that's probably <laughs> there's probably a Gamorrean guard. I'm actually uh, because I I wish I had the clout as a writer to have uh, presented myself to write something because I, I have a great Tebow, the, not Tebow, <laughs> the Ewok, low gray, the Ewok, the shaman Ewok. You know, like I want to know what's going through his head. Yeah. Like it's it's he's the one who who has this pivotal decision that. uh you know, the golden God C-3PO has arrived and <laughs> yes. like his teachings are driving that. Right. Right. Uh, and like, I want to know, like, does he really believe that? Is he like a charlatan? Is he, <laughs> and, I, and I hope that the, uh, the low gray story addresses these questions. I have. Um, he's been, he's yeah, been I'm really spinning, looking forward to reading that spinning lies this whole time. And then all of a sudden this golden <laughs> dude shows up and he's like, ah, I can use this. 
I bet there's like, a Gamorrean guard story for you. And it's just like, I pulled a fast one on you. I want to know about the Gamorrean guards, Gamorrean wife, who he leaves in the Gamorrean morning and goes has his Gamorrean lunchbox and goes to Gamorrean work to be a Gamorrean guard, you know? That's, That's a, actually on Disney Plus. I don't know. If, you don't watch trailers, Jeff, so I don't want to tell you about it, but it looks good. It's called it's, mm. Gu- Good Morning Gamorian, is <laughs> good, what the name good of the show is. More or less. Canonizing <laughs> Thok from Terrors, the Masters of Terrace Kasi, the playable Gamorian guard. <laughs> Gamora, yeah. Gamora, okay. Gamora, okay. Gamora Gales. <laughs> a day in the life of a Gamorian guard. Oh, that's delightful. Okay, that's called From a Certain Point of View. Uh, it's the Return of the Jedi edition. Very cool parting gift. Christian Spicer. What is your parting gift? Uh, the most recent book I have finished, I'm in the middle of a couple right now, but The Paris Apartment by Lucy Foley. Um, you've probably seen Lucy's books on your digital or actual library or bookshelf or, or you know, bookstore, heaven forbid, you you stumbled across one of those. Maybe in The Last of Us 2 is where you see bookstores in the real world now. It's the only place you still see them. Um, but The Paris Apartment is a thriller mystery story and what I love about this particular book of of Lucy's is the way each chapter is told from a different character's perspective. And it's it's not an escape room, but it's kind of, you know, it's a small cast of characters. And you meet them all, and they all live in this same apartment and or building, and, and something terrible happened. And so one chapter will be from this, you know, the matriarch, point of view and i really love how in the book each chapter feels different i've certainly read books like this before where it's like oh and now we're hearing the story from jeff's point of view and all of a sudden jeff's doing spice man and saying baby all the time it's like that's clearly not jeff's point of view um but (laughs) lucy in the paris apartment does a really good job capturing each character's voice as they describe what happened and what they're looking into and what their fears are and stuff like that and it is a very easy quick read i know summer is almost unofficially officially over but it very much is that pool beach read style novel and had a lot of fun with it the paris apartment by lucy foley very cool uh you've heard me mention the fact that i did uh, hood to coast this last weekend i i won't belabor it but uh, I do bring it up. You know, usually I like to have my parting gift be a, a, an object you can acquire or some experience you can have. Uh, but once in a while, I will do a parting gift of, you know, something to seek out that's just a life experience. And just doing something that you didn't think you could do is worthwhile. It's worthwhile. I mean, Hood to Coast was a 36-hour, we did it in 33, 33-hour uh, relay event uh with 11 other people where i slept in a van uh sleeping the wrong word to use because we didn't sleep i didn't sleep uh but uh, we stayed in a van and uh ran i ran uh, <laughs> a little over 16 miles total uh we ran uh, 200 cumulatively all of us and it, it's a wild event it's hard it is grueling and it's one of those things that i wasn't sure i could do you know before i did it and to do anything you aren't sure you can do to challenge yourself like that, when you come out the other side and you went, oh my gosh, I did it. Not only that, but I think I could do it again. It's very empowering and very cool. So I urge you, dear listener, to attempt something that maybe you're not sure you can do uh, and see what that is like. 
We also got a listener-suggested pardon gift. This was sent to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, it comes from the Griffin Rider. It was tossed from the lofty heights of a griffin and floated down to our email address. It comes, uh, it, it, it starts like this. Uh, hey, Jeff, following last week's parting gift by Matthias from Ramso, who chastised me for mispronouncing smorgasbord my entire life. It's pronounced chastising. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Griffin writer says, I thought listeners might be interested in checking out the egg corn database, a listing of commonly mistaken words and phrases. An egg corn is known as a beautiful mistake because the incorrect form like egg corn, not acorn. People would have said egg corn instead of acorn or probably children. Anyway, it's usually more logistical than the correct or excuse me, logical than the correct version acorn. The egg corn database taught me that there is no K in benighted, that demure and that demure, demur and demure are different words with different meanings. Demur and demure, right? Demur, yeah, demur and demure. Uh, I also found one of your favorite egg corns in the database, pedestool, instead of pedestal. Although they hadn't yet listed replenish instead of replenish. Did I say replenish? I hope not. <laughs> I'm very embarrassed that there's enough of these that the Griffin writer attributes some to me. Um, thanks to you and Christian for continuing to make such an excellent show every week. The Griffin writer. Thank you. The Griffin writer. I have found many uh, moments of delight on the egg corn database. It's egg corns dot LA scribe dot net. Uh, a few to uh, tickle your fancy. I mean, you, if you browse through, there's so many, um, for example, um, uh, I think my favorite that I think I talked about this before, but uh, when I was a kid, probably much older than I should have been, I finally realized that it's for all intents and purposes. Yeah, like yeah. Not for all intensive. Per- yeah. And I was like, no, that makes sense. Intensive, per- like when you're really like intensive yeah. purpose. <laughs> well, that's the thing about these egg corns is th- these malapropisms is that they're. There's a logic to the wrongness mm-hmm. of them. Uh, like, uh, I like a posable thumb. Like, a, the, the, the thumb is posable. It's a posable thumb, not an opposable <laughs> thumb, right? Uh, so there's, there's, these are great. And you'll probably find ones that you've made mistakes like me. Uh, I endeavor not to, but uh, there's, there's uh, what about this one? Instead of a, uh, a courtesy call, a curtsy call. <laughs> where you just curtsy a curtsy call um i don't see mine on the list which is a numerical order which growing up until like sixth grade or so i thought i heard the new miracle order <laughs> like putting things in in the order of their numbers is some kind of wow it's a but, miracle uh, this that. order how did they possibly yeah. put it in this order well we yeah, use we're gonna numbers. have to add uh, the new miracle order <laughs> that's really funny you got to send in, send that into the egg corn right uh awesome well if you'd like to have your parting gift read on the show send it to us dlcfeedback at gmail.com is where you send those we love getting them and that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Chris Baker and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making the fun bumpers. Our theme song was composed by White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. 
You can get swag for the show at dlcswag.com, which was created by Jesse J. Anderson. Our biggest thanks go out to our patrons for making this show possible. Without them, we would not be making these. You can become one at patreon.com slash dlcpod. You get cool stuff in exchange. Our top tier patrons, our hype train patrons, have their names read out at the end of every episode, which we're going to do right now. Hello, hype train patrons. This is the part of the show where if I could speak German, I would do it in German even though people's names would be the same because it's Gamescom, right? Gamescom, ended. we talked a lot about Gamescom. And so I would say everybody's name in German. And then I was like, that's a really funny idea. So everybody's name in German is also just probably their name. And they're like, ooh, I'll do a German accent, which I can't do a good German accent. And then I feel like, why would I do that? That'd just be widely inappropriate to have me doing a terrible German accent that probably wouldn't sound like a German accent. So instead, Zachary White, just picture that as like the best... German accent ever, right? So much so that you're like, oh, native speaker, right, Nate? Native speaker, German accent. I'm nailing it right now. Jenny, Scott Hughes, Jimmy Radcliffe, Mitchell Ness, a very common name in Germany, actually, Mitchell Ness. So you look up the, in the German phone book, tons of them. <laughs> Jeff Luxack, Matt Bradley, Victor Venezuela, Cheesy Bob. Oh my gosh, don't even go to the Cheesy Bob section. Like if you're in Berlin, you're like, I'm trying to find Cheesy Bob. It's just like pages and pages of them. Hank Patton, Rob Ricksman, Riley Knox, Kyle Starr, Michael S., Relentless Rex. Interestingly enough, only one of. Very easy to find if you're there. There's Relentless Raptor, Relentless Triceratops, but only one Relentless Rex. Curtis from Louisville, Louisville, Germany, by the way. Um, it's the, every, people don't know. Like, there's a Paris in Texas. There's also a Louisville in Germany. Sharuken, Scott Lambert, Joe DeFrank, Stephen T. Seifert, Tyler Buckwild Broad, Dwayne T. Robinson, Rob, Wonder Rob, Dominguez, four of. I counted. I, I still get physical phone books <laughs> from every I, countrywide, not just cities. I get countrywide Phone books. They're huge, but they're worth it. Kevin Eddy, Brian Jordan, Hyperboy66, David Epp, John Cisco. I mean, they're actually just worth it now because of this um, hype train. Thank you. My wife is like, why do we have all these? We can't fit them in the garage anymore. And I'm like, just wait. Just wait, babe. One of these days. <laughs> Matt Valdez, Andy Joyce, Anthony Gulas, Dan Flanagan, Sasan, Adam Demby, Scooby Diesel, there is a Scooby hybrid and a Scooby plug-in hybrid and also a Scooby electric um, in the phone book as well. Jonathan Talbert, Chris Zacharias, Will with one L, Harris. There is a Will with three L's in um, Hamburg, actually, but that's all I found. Jonathan Putney, Mark Gowland, Malcolm King, Dan Palmino, Ben Kevin Brazel, Stu Goss, Jonathan, the Spice Man Forever, Schlepplefer. There's actually a whole city devoted to the Spice Man Forever. Not the Spice Man, but Spice Man Forever. It's a, a city is an overstatement. It's like just like, you know, one piece of grass. But it's there and I know it's there. Albert Verhelda Dios, Spice Man Silencer, Whole Castle. Whole Castle. Mike Lombardo, Michael Buck, Peter Olberg, Jad, Christian Bravery. There is Christian um, Coward, Cowardly Lion is in it, but no Braves. Only one, Octavian Ratzio, Jason Novak, 
Thank you all so much for supporting us and supporting this show. And thank you for uh, <laughs> imagining my best German accent. <laughs> all right. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. <laughs>